Like the last, you know, 10 years and in retrospect, the last 30 years, I found to be relatively bewildering um, in, a, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, one of the ways to look at the manifesto is that it's actually Clinton, it's actually Clinton or liberalism. Like basically in the 1990s, we thought we had a grand bargain, uh, essentially, and, and it, it was basically Clinton or liberalism um, and, you know, some sort of centrist, centrist uh, Democrats. Um, and, and, you know, the, and, and I was part of it. Like I, I, I knew Clinton and Gore and I was a supporter of them and I supported, you know, Clinton in 96 and Gore in 2000. And, you know, we, at the time, it, it seemed like we kind of had everything figured out. And, and sort of the formula of that time that we all thought we had figured out was, you know, kind of we get to be technologists, we get to build these new things, we get to be capitalists, right? We get to build companies. Um, and then, you know, th and those are good. Like the, 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 both parts of that are actually a good activity. You know, and the internet actually is like a good thing and the computer is a good thing. You know, and algebra, <laughs> algebra is good. Um, you know, and then basically if those things work, um, you know, then you make money and then the, what you do with money is philanthropy, right? And then you sort of feed the money back to society and it's sort of obvious ways to Welcome to another episode of Club Manifesto. My name is Joe. I'm joined, as always, by Sos, and we've got a, a guest joining us tonight who we will introduce in a moment. Uh, but strap in. This is going to be uh, a bit of a doozy. Uh, we've got, uh, as I said, a guest to kind of help with the, uh, the analysis, we'll say, uh, on this one. So stay tuned for that. Um, today's manifesto is the Techno Optimist Manifesto, composed by uh, one of Silicon Valley's most notable venture capital tech bro douchebags. Uh, loyal listeners to Ma Club Manifesto uh, probably already know that Sos and I are uh, more or less uh, Team Uncle Ted, Uncle Ted Kaczynski, uh, so we are not by our nature techno optimists um no but, we're, we're uh, definitely it, techno pessimists <laughs> i think <laughs> technology but, uh, will ruin us <laughs> yeah our our guest can perhaps provide a, a more nuanced view we'll see um but what we can say uh about what we're categorizing or cat cataloging today um is that in the context of the manifestos we've discussed on this podcast this one is unusual and that it's actually uh considered somewhat relevant or influential at this moment. Um, it was covered in the New York Times recently. It was covered in the Washington Post. Um, can't say the same about the furry manifesto. Um, as for... <laughs> hey, uh, in certain circles, Joe, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. still uh, very relevant. Yeah, I guess, you know, we, we've typically kind of gone into uh, the archives looking for manifestos, but this one sort of popped out of the news and and actually uh nate and uh and so both sort of suggested this uh at the same time mm -hmm. um as as for the author of this manifesto he is uh a little less unusual and that he's uh kind of a bit of a piece of shit and uh we've chronicled a number of pieces of shit on this podcast um <laughs> but he is an important figure, you know, regardless of, of any other qualities he has. Um, and his name is Mark Andreessen. Uh, I'm not sure. I think 
it would depend on uh, your proximity to uh, sort of the tech industry, I think, as to whether or not that name is familiar. But he just published this manifesto. I think it was in October, somewhere around that. So uh, for our purposes, in, in club manifesto terms, that's hot off the presses. Um, it's our very first uh, piece of what we'll call uh, breaking news on Fresh. club manifesto. Yeah, out of the out of the manifesto universe. Um, so <laughs> with all of that said, um, now is the time to blame uh, the choice to discuss this manifesto on somebody. Other than Sos and I, even though I already said that Sos kind of suggested it too. Um, but that is a long way of saying, Nate, welcome to Club Manifesto. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Long time listener. Well, we're happy to have you. Um, and again, we're, we're happy in large part because it, uh, it's a, a reason to say that somebody else uh, was interested in this thing. Which, it, it is like a, a pretty fascinating uh it's a pretty fascinating manifesto uh, in no small part because it is like still like it, it, this is a guy who's very important now and uh, even if it's like a little hyperbolic what he's saying here uh, I think it probably does give some insight into uh, what he's thinking but uh, I guess can you just let us know how you came upon it what brought this uh, document the techno optimist manifesto to your attention I think it's probably uh, the same way Sos came across it, which is probably like people talking shit about it on social media. Mm-hmm. So I think I'd seen a lot more like people referring to it and saying like describing it as being like a Dr. Bronner label for like their uh-huh. just like <laughs> this kind of, you know, just kind of stream of consciousness. um kind of document and and you know like coming from this uh kind of uh libertarian mindset of a lot of uh a lot of silicon valley a lot of people who are uh, very influential uh it is I, I think like you were saying it's, it's interesting because it's kind of like bombastic but also it's like this is it's representative of the way a lot of very powerful people in the tech industry think yeah, well that because my my next question was gonna be something like what made you take it seriously enough to read it, and that may have mm-hmm. been uh, the answer might be because uh, I asked you to be on the podcast, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I guess is there anything else that caused you to read it? Um, yeah, I, I mean I, I'm kind of like uh, I I think you know for me this is uh, it's interesting I I you know. I'll, I'll disclose I, I work in tech so I'm not really like into this uh, the like I'm uh, I'm not making any like big decisions or uh, I'm not on the business side at all also mm-hmm. uh, so it's uh, it's interesting you know it's just I I have like a personal interest because you know these uh, type of people are certainly like important for me personally you know yeah we uh we go out of our way on club manifesto to allow people to be as uh, anonymous as they wish <laughs> but uh obviously I, that is like a pretty relevant biographical detail for yourself and it's probably uh also sets you apart clearly from sos and i who work for the government <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> do not uh but we're here I mean, to help 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's connected. Yeah, yeah. It's certainly like this influences uh, all all parts of of like our society. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you know, all these technologies are becoming more and more important. So, yeah. in in your line of work, uh, would you ever or have you ever come across um, Andreessen or his organization? Like, is that, no, is that something no. that's no? That's one thing is they're more connected to uh, startups. Uh, uh, it, yeah, they're like because it's a venture capital firm. A lot of its investments go into companies that are starting up, whereas. Mm. Uh, I the company I happen to work for is very old as far as tech mm-hmm. companies go. So mm. uh, that's definitely not part of it. Uh, I don't I don't really like. That's just something I'm like vaguely aware of. I think I'm no more aware of it now than before I started working, uh, like about two years ago in tech. So mm. nice. Yeah, I mean, I I think. One thing I neglected to do at the beginning of this episode is that uh, I didn't really summarize at all what what his perspective is here, but it, it's kind of made clear in the the title. I mean, it, it and we'll get into it, but it is in essence like a I think an accelerationist perspective mm-hmm. where he mm-hmm. he is arguing that uh, we kind of need unbridled technological advancement, and he is uh, very unconcerned about any. Uh, ramifications uh you know kind of externalities that might be associated with that mm. um and so so w- let's get into talking about who andreessen is uh because it, i mean he is an influential figure he doesn't have like the kind of remarkably fascinating uh background to be honest with you that that uh, maybe some people who come to write a manifesto have but he, mm. he's got you know some interesting stuff he was born in 1971 in iowa um, he's, which makes him 52 years old right now. Was raised in Wisconsin, so he's kind of like a Midwestern dude. Uh, he went to the U of I in Champaign-Urbana, uh, which is uh, significant uh, because that kind of, as we'll discuss here in just a moment, like gave him access to uh, a program, I think, that really came out of the, the whole uh, invention of the Internet. But he got a, a bachelor's degree in... Computer science in '93. Uh, I guess he interned at IBM a couple of times as an undergraduate. But what really put him on the map, to my understanding, and Nate, correct me if I'm wrong about this, as far as you know, was that he was uh, he helped to develop the web browser that became, uh, I think, first Mosaic, and then later they developed Netscape yeah. Navigator. Yeah. So. In uh, December of 1991, the Gore Bill was passed. Yes, that Gore, Al Gore. Uh, (laughs) This bill was the one that uh, Gore claimed credit for inventing the Internet. The bill provided government funding for, among other things, new projects at the National Center of Supercomputing Applications, which was a state-federal partnership housed at the University of Illinois to develop and deploy national-scale computer infrastructure. Andreessen worked with people at the center to develop Mosaic, which became a very widely used web browser. So uh, this guy was kind of like there at the ground floor of the of the internet. In the do uh, do either of you guys remember using Mosaic? I don't remember Mosaic, but yeah. I remember Netscape for sure. 
Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Netscape Navigator, yeah, was always on, like, the school computers. I remember that. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, uh, I mean, I, I think this is significant uh, in that he is, as we'll discuss, basically a, a full-on libertarian now. Mm-hmm. But his background is, like, right. uh, associated with, I mean, all of his... What really got him in the door with web browsers, it seems, was his connection to that what six hundred million or billion dollar funding thing that uh, was associated with the Gore Bill, like the whole reason they say Al Gore invented the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of hard to imagine that he would really be where he is if it wasn't for his proximity to all that government money. Yeah, self-made man <laughs> with the with the government's billion dollar check, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, backing him up. Uh, after he graduated in 1993 from the uh, University of Illinois, he moved to California where he co-founded a company that developed and sold Netscape, uh, uh, built uh, off of that all that government research and government um uh, money and we got Netscape. He was eventually featured on the cover of Time, um, and Netscape was acquired by AOL for four point three billion dollars. And that's why we're talking about Andreessen today because he's rich and he's throwing that money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's throwing yeah. it around. He's actually trying to like do that things is... with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, s- speaking of uh, him being on uh, the cover of Time magazine, uh, Nate, have you seen a photo of Mark Andreessen? Do you know what he looks like? <laughs> so I actually, I, w- I was kind of like, is it okay to talk about this man's head? And, 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 like, I thought it would. I thought it would be a you know kind of like I don't know. I don't know in bad taste. But then I uh-huh. I was I was reading a there's a New Yorker kind of profile mm-hmm. of him from uh, like 2015 and uh mm-hmm. so before all all of this and uh they pointed out that his uh they they pointed out the resemblance of his his head to an egg <laughs> so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah he's in like the first in the first paragraph of that piece i'm pretty sure it's like right up right yeah. up at the top <laughs> of that story uh, yeah i mean it He's got a big... I mean, it's not he's like big. a little he's just, big. He's a big guy, though. Well, yeah. his, head's, he, his head's even big for a big guy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, but he, he looks like a cone. Like it, it's very like... Yeah. Uh, it goes. It looks like a, a prosthetic. It's, it's really... Uh, uh, you know, look it up, whoever's listening. It's, yeah. it's worth, uh, yeah. worth the time. Yeah. It really... Literal, uh, literal egg. If the... It, yes. You could just, uh, if you want to know what he's about, uh, you could just look up a photo of Mark Andreessen and then skip the next like twelve minutes of this podcast <laughs> because I, I, I don't think we're gonna <laughs> we're not gonna tell you anything that's not conveyed uh, through a, any picture of him. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, okay, so so he graduates. Uh, he gets. He graduates college, he founds Netscape, they sell it for $4.3 billion, and now he's got all this money. Um, so between 2005 and 2009, Andreessen, uh, he's got this business partner, Ben Horowitz, who I guess he's, he's been working with for a while. Uh, they separately invest a total of, uh, I guess, $80 million in 45 startups. Uh, so this is kind of this venture capital stuff they're getting into, mm-hmm. uh, including in those 
investments were uh, Twitter and and a company called Quick Q I K, which maybe I should know, but I don't. Um, the two, those two Horowitz and Andreessen became known as like a super angel investors. And then in July of 2009, they announced that they were forming a venture capital firm called Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, they, I mean, became influential enough where they get, they get on a number of like lists of influential people within a few years after that, uh, because they're spreading all this money around and I guess, you know, they must be relatively successful at it. I don't know, Nate, if you have any sense for like how successful, uh, he has been if people actually respect his, uh, you know, his choices in terms of what's, what's going to be popular or whatever. I think people do. I think he has been successful. I think that's why we're talking about him or we're talking about him because of that. He's, Mm -hmm. Certainly, I mean, he's a billionaire, so he took what he had and he he grew it. And like you said, he invested in companies that did end up being somewhat profitable. I don't know about, I guess Twitter at one point, would it would have been profitable. I don't know if that's still the case, though. Um, mm-hmm. But he, that's what I was, he looks for, you know, it's the venture capital uh, kind of the whole intent is to invest in startups so yeah i don't i don't really i'm not really like exposed to that part of the business i'm not really like i'm not mm-hmm. even really like super interested in the, the business side i mean it's interesting in a certain way but i don't want to like spend too much time thinking about it well he uh, uh he has no problem uh putting money into startups uh, most of which as we know fail so a lot of that money does go down the drain. Uh, I only say that because in uh, 2022, Andreessen advocated against the construction of a 131 multifamily housing unit <laughs> in the affluent town of uh, Atherton, uh, uh, California. You know, he doesn't he doesn't want you know his money is poured down the drain in all these like companies. But when there's a, a move to build a multifamily housing unit in his uh, neighborhood uh, you know that kind of government funding uh, uh, doesn't doesn't cut the mustard but if you're funding him or other tech companies that's mm-hmm. I guess that's an okay way to spend government money in a letter Andreessen and his wife wrote that they opposed permitting more than one house on a single acre of land you know that's absurd to have more than one house <laughs> on an acre yeah. what well, what is it, this the is slums it, his his um uh... His wife is also, I don't know if you're going to mention this, she is a uh, the heir to some billionaire real estate uh, developer from, uh, you know, Silicon Valley area. Wow. So, well, you're, well, you're, uh, you got, you got to be careful, Nate, because you're, you're venturing into territory that's, that's going to be part of a, a game we're going to play called no. Two Truths and a Lie. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. So it sounds like that. somebody's somebody's uh, already well prepared for uh, this game. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Just like uh. all the segments at Club Manifesto. <laughs> yeah, we're they're always really well thought out. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know what kind of riffraff moves in when you let more than one house on a single acre of land? Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna look like Chicago or something. Yeah, 
it's gonna yeah you're atherton's gonna go right down the right down the tubes <laughs> Um, but I, I guess he had apparently prior been, uh, like he'd argued for increased housing supply in some type of way. I mean, I don't, I don't know how, but, it, uh, some people called him out for a bit of hypocrisy when he decided that that wasn't so appropriate in his own hometown. Yeah. Um, uh, but true. Nimby. Uh, Instead of backyard, it's our back forest, our back yeah. <laughs> acre. I don't know. Not yeah. Yard. Not in my whole town, I guess. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so, as we discussed, I mean, he is kind of treated, it seems, as like a like a guru, kind of like someone who has a special ability to almost like foresee the future. Yeah. Um, and there's a Washington Post editorial that actually was kind of like trashing this manifesto, but it still described him as tech industry royalty. Mm. And there, I was just looking through like other headlines from the past few months there's one that's uh quote the real reason mark andreessen is urging billionaires to homeschool their kids that's in a uh, uh, business insider uh fortune magazine wrote how mark andreessen uses chat gpt to prepare his son for the ai future uh reason magazine <laughs> wrote uh so mark did you, andreessen wait, did you look at that did you look at that article because i'm like curious <laughs> I, sh- I sure did not, okay. no. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I sure didn't, but it's the the quote that follows, the, like the subhead is a quote that I guess he said, which is, it will have grown up with him. I guess suggesting that chat oh. GPT will be growing up with his son. Yeah. Um, either that or he's gendering chat GPT. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think he means I think he means that uh, Chad GPT will have grown up with his son. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's another one. Uh, Mar- you know, CNET wrote Mark Andreessen on Warren Buffett: colon, old white guy who doesn't get tech. So, anyway, <laughs> my point is that they, uh, you know, people go to him when they're curious about what, uh, like they 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 treat him very seriously, mm-hmm. uh, even. And, and I'm sure he, he has clearly been successful enough to have a lot of money, but he's also kind of in a trade where it's it's a little possible to push a lot of bullshit because, like, who yeah. really knows enough to question you, you know? Yeah, it's, um, I, I think that's true. I, I mean, I definitely, you see a lot of that. The, the thing with him is I actually think, like, the thing you started with in his biography, which is, like, his work at UVI on... Uh, kind of like early internet technology it like it didn't really exist he was he was kind of part of a team it was him and another developer who's uh like a senior probably like a postdoc or something mm-hmm. and uh that's actually i mean that seems like respectable uh so it's it's something that's kind of different than a lot of the other kind of charlatans that have like popped up who kind of like said they had something that was great, but they didn't really have anything before that, like uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Like, she's a good example. Uh, mm-hmm. She didn't have a technology. She didn't even finish. You know, she was kind of, like, fitting the, the mold of, like, the Stanford dropout, who's brilliant, mm-hmm. but it was clearly, like, she was just faking it. So mm-hmm. that's definitely, like, part of the culture. It's clearly, like, a, a big part of it is uh, bullshitting. And that's kind of what this manifesto seems like. There's so, there's just a lot of obvious bullshit in it. So it seems to be, yeah. you know, an, an example of that. 
Well, and it's, at some point, uh, if you're in venture capital and you're looking at all these uh, like long shot investments, I mean, in a certain way, aren't you kind of like inclined to try to almost like bullshit? Mm-hmm. You're, you're trying to like bullshit some bullshit into reality, you know, like <laughs> may, <laughs> to take something that looks absurd, seems like bullshit, but you are trying to give it credibility and turn it into something that's viable. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you just got to believe that it will, it will happen. That, that is a big part of, of the venture capital kind of ethos, you know, yeah. kind of yeah. dreaming big, trying to walk that line between being impractical enough to like capture people's attention and imagination, but practical enough where you make it work. And yeah. people like Elizabeth Holmes are, are the, are the, you know, the ugly side of that story. But uh, I kind of have uh, more respect for Elizabeth Holmes than Andreessen because he actually had to work to get to where he's at. She just <laughs> <laughs> she took the fast lane, yeah, faked she did. it, she was and got just... Henry Kissinger to invest in her company. Yeah. <laughs> she was yeah, she was kind of smarter to begin with, but now I. I guess that she's in prison, maybe. Uh, yeah, she, yeah. That, that. She, <laughs> she flew too close to out. the sun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Her, I mean, her story is like a lot funnier than his, for sure. Yeah. Um, but but well, I, I, um, okay, so uh, kind of previewed this earlier, little foreshadowing. Uh, but uh, we've got a new a, a new segment we're debuting. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. It, it just uh, froze for a little bit. I don't know if you guys saw that. Oh, okay. Uh, no, not on this side, but uh, it, it may... Who knows how often Jitsi might do that to us. Uh, talk about an advent, you know, an important technological innovation, free video chat on, <laughs> yeah. on the internet. Yeah. Um, okay, so we are uh, we're debuting a, a new segment on Club Manifesto, Never Before... Uh, done segment, and we're calling it Two Truths and a Lie. Two Truths and a Lie. And we're, 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 we didn't exactly invent that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And we uh, will definitely have uh, a little uh, sound effect that goes along with that. It's going to have a little air horn with it. So yeah, the the listener already knows that. Yeah, uh, if you're a fan <laughs> of Dumbass's Advocate, the you know this is uh, this is the next installment of a whole series of segments mm-hmm. we got planned. So here's here's how this is gonna work. Uh, everyone knows how this works. I have uh, <laughs> three <laughs> I have three statements, <laughs> and uh, two of them are true. One's a lie. Hang on, say and... that again. Uh, you lost. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after uh, <laughs> after I say these three. You you guys can can try to guess which one's true and I uh, which two are true which one's a lie, I guess the real question is which one's a lie, uh, and uh, to be honest with you Nate gave away about half the game already because he did too much research. <laughs> you just gotta cut that. So, just cut it. Yeah. One truth and uh, one lie. <laughs> yeah, you're not supposed to be prepared. That's the that's that's what's ah, fucking damn. me up here. <laughs> um, okay, so the first. The first, uh, you know, truth or a lie. Besides having billions of dollars of his own money, 
Andreessen is also married to the daughter of a billionaire real estate developer who made his fortune by turning California farmland into Silicon Valley office space. Okay, so that's number one. Number two. Andreessen once told an interviewer that he expects images produced by artificial intelligence will, quote, eliminate the market for bona fide child pornography, unquote. (laughs) And number three, when asked by a magazine about the product Google Glass, Andreessen said, quote, I want the contact lens version as soon as I can possibly get it. I don't care if it's a microwave beam powering the thing that gives me eye cancer. I'll take it. (laughs) <laughs> so you got uh, two truths in there and one of those is a lie this is uh, this is tough I'll be honest um, well a a is a truth the the billionaire uh, mm-hmm. wife uh, who's turning California farmland into office space that's that's great news mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly like, AI turning child porn, eliminating uh, bona fide child porn, that's, uh, 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 I think that's the other true one. That sounds yeah. like something a tech, that's a what tech I, guy would say. Yeah, I, I agree with that. that. That was my guess. And and all libertarians are like deep down pedophiles. That's another <laughs> thing I believe there. Uh, but, you know, that's just my own pet theory. <laughs> all right, you guys ready? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, oh. you know, uh, no. Uh, Andreessen said the thing about giving it, letting That's Google weird. Glass give him eye cancer. You know weird. who said? You know who this said the thing about thing child pornography? Me. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's actually like very. Oh, that's a moral gray area, but it's much better than like uh, actual child pornography. So, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yes, so the you, AI version of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it, it's hard to find a victim, I guess, other than the person who is uh, watching it themselves. You know, I guess if you could see that to be uh, yeah. You know they're kind of victimizing themselves, but there's otherwise wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be, except that you figure AI would probably have to like um, like uh, consume a bunch of child pornography in yeah. order to make child pornography, so that there's Ooh. some problems with that. That's a that's so. a nice bullshit quote, Don't, Joe. Especially <laughs> yeah. the term. Yeah, that was uh, good. The thing that sold that was... me was bona fide, bona fide uh, child pornography. That's the, the I feel like <laughs> the thing he said was so much stupider. I it's just like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the real yeah. thing was so much worse. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of our brand new segment that we call Two Truths and a Lie. (laughs) That went pretty well, even, you know. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's exactly how it was supposed to go. (laughs) Sad but true You say it's over, we're through What will I do? Sad but true Sad but true I'm still in love with you 
what will I do? Sad but true. To to uh, take a sharp turn here, <coughs> we're um, gonna move away from uh, Andreessen and his and his large uh, chrome dome <laughs> and to uh, a little context to set up the manifesto which is about technology and how uh, technology is going to save us all kind of that's the that's the attitude behind um, behind the manifesto and uh, the um, uh, Andreessen Horowitz techno venture uh, firm so I thought to kind of contrast this like very optimistic view of technology, we'd come back to our good friend Martin Heidegger, the Nazi's favorite philosopher, <laughs> and because uh, he wrote uh, an essay called The Question Concerning Technology, and what he says in there is, is pretty interesting in contrast to what Andreessen says about technology. Because Martin Heidegger, like uh, uh, like your Club Manifesto hosts, are techno pessimists, so um, his his writing is this this quote is a bit long. He's he's long winded and kind of a dense writer, but you know uh, I think what he has to say is pretty interesting. That's kind of what we do here. So yeah, we like to we like to <laughs> fuck with our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> So he says, in contrast, a tract of land is challenged into the putting out of coal and ore. The earth now reveals itself as a coal mining district, the soil as a mineral deposit. The field that peasants formerly cultivated and set in order appears differently than it did when it's set in order, still meant to take care uh, still meant to take care of and to maintain. The work of the peasant does not challenge the soil of the field. In the sowing of the grain, it places the seed in the keeping of the forces of growth and watches over its increase. But meanwhile, even the cultivation of the field has come under the grip of another kind of setting in order, which sets upon nature. It sets upon in the sense of challenging it. Agriculture is now the mechanized food industry. Air is now set upon to yield nitrogen, the earth to yield ore, or to yield uranium. For example, uranium is set upon yield is set upon to yield atomic energy, which can be released either for destruction or for peaceful use. End quote. So the way that he's talking about technology here is that it changes the way people relate to the world around them. The peasant farmer sees himself connected to the land as part of nature and taking care of the land. Uh, and by taking care of the land, he also takes care of himself. He doesn't deplete nature, but works along with the rhythms and cycles uh, of nature in, uh, 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 in those sort of agrarian... Uh, uh, in those agrarian rhythms. But technology breaks us free from nature's cycle, and we start to see nature as a resource, as if we aren't part of nature. We see it as a thing to exploit, and ultimately to deplete, for Heidegger. So technology has a large capacity to destroy human beings because it makes them think they aren't part of nature anymore. If Andreessen is a techno-optimist, Heidegger, like I said, is a techno-pessimist, and I think it's important to keep Heidegger's perspective on technology and how it's 
uh, with the increase of technology, you deplete nature more and kind of increase the chances of your own uh, destruction as as a, as a species. So, um, yeah, I think it's I mean, it's it's I think it's important to keep that in mind insofar as he is. Andreessen is going to say almost precisely the opposite. Uh, mm. And it kind of uh, it, his view Andreessen's aligns with some other people now, including a guy named uh, Michael Schellenberger, who's like a, a journalist that's written a bit about uh, environmental activism. And there are a lot of people now who really believe that the, the only real solution to climate change, for example, mm-hmm. uh, the only real way to, uh, I guess, bring us back into some type of harmony with nature is uh, development and technological innovation. So and that's something that's, that they might be right about. Like technology has already fucked up nature to the point where uh, we just by stopping our use of fossil fuels and of technology isn't gonna isn't gonna do very much at this point. Where there is that that you know uh, uh, the only way out is through. Um, Zizek also believes that Slavoj Zizek, uh, a leftist uh, thinker and philosopher Mm -hmm. so both on the right and the left there are techno optimists Hmm. he he says that at some point though i reading the manifesto it definitely at at least as far as its economic outlook it seems pretty right-wing so Mm -hmm. i could see techno optimism uh spanning that i i also think i don't think he's like really a completely um, defining techno-optimism. Because I've read things of people who would say they agree with certain things, but he says some stuff that just makes it kind of like... It seems incorrect to say that it's really like even um, properly describes the movement. Like, if there is a movement of people who actually think of themselves as techno-optimists, I don't even know Mm -hmm. if this completely, like really describes it correctly. Like, they they would agree that he's, like, put forth something that they all agree with, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you can tell as you read this thing that he's, uh, like, he's kind of on one, you know? I, he's he's <laughs> yeah. probably not, he's probably not, like, run it through a peer review, uh, you know, yeah. apparatus of any kind. Um, he, I, probably, I, he probably just had his, like, wife read it. And he was like, all right, mm-hmm. cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good. Yeah. yeah, you can imagine that she read every word diligently <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> before she said <laughs> the the uh, the the uh, grammatical uh, mistakes and spelling get worse as you go along in the manifesto because uh, she didn't proofread that part. <laughs> you know, uh, before we're we're about to start the manifesto itself, but before we do that, I mean, the, I do not uh, claim to even really uh, be smart enough to understand what what Heidegger ever says. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever successfully felt like I read Heidegger. But in this case, I mean, he's, he's talking about, uh, you know, like the peasant farmer. Hmm. Uh, but, I mean, the peasant farmer is also utilizing technology. And I, I always understood really the be- in a lot of ways the beginning of kind of major technological innovation would be sort of the beginning of agrarian human uh, civilization. Yeah. So it's kind of odd, like an odd choice, I feel It like. is, uh, and I think that's where his weird use of the word challenging nature comes in. 
Uh, yeah, you do use technology to like uh, loosen the soil with the plow, let's say, but you're not like depleting the soil of all of its use until you get to industrial uh, um, farm uh, uh, farm practices. And then, like, he also, in another part of the essay, he talks about windmills, how windmills are a piece of technology, but they don't challenge nature because they're generated by the wind. They don't actually, like, deplete nature of anything. It's just using the wind to make, to grind mill, to flour, or to, or to make electricity in our case. So mm -hmm. that's, I think, for him, the key difference of industrial technology is um is that it's really starting to deplete nature and and separate us from it whereas all other technology still had us connected to it mm -hmm. i mean i think there's kind of this core question with 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 technology when we, we're talking about being a technological optimist is mm. i mean humans have just kind of been using technology in some form or the other as long as they had the capacity to you know, dream it up, uh, mm -hmm. which I think is a pretty long time ago. So when, when you, if you're going to be a technological pessimist, which I do oftentimes feel describes myself, I do sometimes wonder, well, what, what's the stopping point? Uh, mm. I guess maybe that's, that's his. Um, the stopping point is the fleshlight. I think that's where technology. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what Heidegger would think of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, right. wanna, he'd be like, "Oh, this is great." <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't deplete a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely don't want to go back and eliminate the fleshlight. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, all right, so let's do. Let's begin to read the manifesto. So, do you want to read the first line, or do you want me to? Yeah, this is a great first line. We are being lied to. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. What a way to what a way yep. to start. Case and, closed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sold. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but that, like, with a lot of the rest of this manifesto, they, there are a lot of like one line paragraphs, like four word paragraphs, mm -hmm. and that's one of them. Um, but he he goes on next to say that uh, quote: We are told that technology takes our jobs, reduces our wages increases inequality, threatens our health, ruins the environment, degrades our society, corrupts our children, impairs our humanity, threatens our future, and is ever on the verge of ruining everything. We're told to be angry, bitter, and resentful about technology. We are told to be pessimistic. So that's the end of the quote that I'm going to use, but he goes on like that for a while about uh, what he's, he's saying, that there's all this uh propaganda out there telling us to be pessimistic about technology and then of course he's going to go on and tell us that we should be techno optimists uh i think what's a little curious to me is that while i have some of the uh feelings that he describes i don't necessarily find that i see those messages often represented in any kind of mass media mm. like it seems like most advertising and even like media coverage of technology is is mostly kind of boosteristic mm. uh so i don't i don't know if you guys have seen anything to like do you see frequently people talking about like the wanting to do the uncle ted route or something i i'm not sure what he's talking about i guess <laughs> No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah, um, 
but the stuff, I mean, and, and the funny thing is, those things are true. Um, uh, uh, the, the technology is taking people's jobs away. Uh, it does increase inequality, <laughs> you know? It's, mm. uh, uh, he's kind of like setting these things up to be like, oh, they're not true. Uh, he's, I, I think in his mind, the, this is kind of like a straw man argument or, or, or whatever that he's, that he's setting up. These, all these things he's saying are patently untrue. But it's kind of, it ruins the environment. Like, a lot of those things are true, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, about about technology, but he's like, no, um, the, none of these things are the way that you should be thinking. And, and that's so Silicon Valley. You know, to be counterintuitive means you're right. Uh, uh, everybody mm -hmm. thinks this, but you got to think the opposite. That's actually the, uh, thinking out of the box, you know? Mm -hmm. Technology doesn't ruin the environment. It makes it better, you know? And it just seems it just seems weird to set up a straw man and then like you're he's he's trying to make himself seem counterintuitive even though his uh, <laughs> like in a lot of ways this is a pretty intuitive uh, sort of perspective to have uh, it's it's kind of the op the other side is what tends to be less popular I think so yeah, I mean, he, who, who the hell wants to give up like air conditioning you know I mean <laughs> we have a lot of reasons to want to maintain uh, as much access to technology as possible well I think you know somebody like him it's it, he I think he has the same issue that Elon Musk has that they do spend way too much time on Twitter in their comments mm -hmm. like you know I think they have people who say things like that to them on like social media but it's not like a thing that's you know you're, you're not seeing this on like uh, ABC News or something it's not like mm -hmm. a view that's there it's it's really like in his comments on Twitter hmm. yeah I did see where uh, at some point he was posting like 110 times a day on Twitter or something like that. He's, <laughs> wow. He a real, yeah. real voracious appetite for yeah. uh, frontline soldiers. He's got Twitter brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah I, I saw somewhere in, in reading about this what people called, quote, D cell narratives. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you guys are, are either of you familiar with D cell narratives? No. Yeah. I think that's probably the opposite of accelerationist narratives, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, essentially people saying, like, hit the brakes on oh, on some of this, like, uh, like, maybe, like, we shouldn't let AI run the military or whatever, mm -hmm. like, that. maybe mm -hmm. that's dangerous. Yeah, there is, so, you know, this uh, thing with OpenAI where they uh, fired their CEO, uh, happened kind of recently. And mm -hmm. some people have said that that was kind of a manifestation of this, where there's these effective accelerationists like uh, Andreessen. And mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of a schism between the people who want to accelerate it and uh, people who are, you know, want to be more cautious about pushing these technologies for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got to have a lot of... There's a there's got to be a degree of faith that you have at least from an ethical perspective if you mm -hmm. work for that company and you want to just hit hit the gas as hard as possible. I mean I I don't know what the I don't know what the money says that they should do, but in terms of 
I think the money said scary the money, perspective. I, I think well the for OpenAI specifically, the money is Microsoft and they said they absolutely went with the accelerationist position. Because that's represented by Sam Altman. Mm-hmm. So the money says, yeah, because they have a lot of, uh, a, that's one thing I could say, like, it's clear that there is a lot of money uh, riding on this just across the, the tech industry, the pushing AI. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I live in uh, San Francisco, and if you, if you go and, well, if you, you drive around, I usually don't drive, but when I do, you get a sense of what the like current um like tech hype is about and right now it's just ai every billboard says ai on it and Mm -hmm. that's where all the money is and that's why he talks about it too because he's certainly invested in a number of startups Mm. uh there and he hopes because the thing is is like it's clear like ai is mentioned in this and it's not really necessary to say anything about it but it's Mm. really this is, it is, he's like, he's selling something that he hopes to make money off of. I guess that's like a, a good way of like yeah, overall criticizing this. He, he's not like, he's, sir, he, he put this out there. It's like, he's trying to make money. And like, if you agree with this, he's going to get richer. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Very self-interested. I mean, yeah, I mean, self-fulfilling it, prophecies are, yeah. are, are perfect. Yeah, and is I mean all those uh, those headlines I was reading earlier are pretty much all. I mean, you can see where he's trying to make money too, and the luckily the tech press just like eats it up, you know. And so they're like, oh yeah, my kid's gonna grow up with Chat GPT. You know, Chat GPT's gonna grow up with my kid. It's yeah. like, and never mind that I, I have however much money invested in uh, related types of. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the guy products. who inv- invented the VCR said, "My kid's gonna grow up with the VCR." And <laughs> knows what the fuck it is anymore. Yeah, so who, but who knows it, what? His kid probably did grow up with the VCR, though. I think I grew <laughs> up with the VCR. That's true. His kid probably <laughs> did, but uh, uh, his kid's kid is a uh, you know a whole other. Uh, yeah. I guess it only works one generation. Mm-hmm. Um, Andreessen uh, divides his manifesto uh, into a lot of different sections with a lot of different chapters or headers that describe how technological advances led by Andreessen Horowitz, uh, just like you said, Nate, are going to solve all the world's problems. Uh, I don't think we can go into all of them uh, in, in, the, in this episode, but to give you an idea of the of the kind of vibe of the manifesto, uh, here are some of the the chapters: uh, uh, markets, energy, technology. It all seems straightforward enough, but then you see headings like "becoming technological supermen" <laughs> or <laughs> "the meaning of life," <laughs> and you start to wonder exactly how this guy's billions of dollars are being spent you know it's uh it kind of reminded me of like peter thiel investing a lot of money in immortality uh research Mm -hmm. it's uh uh, and it's like this is what they're spending their money on when they don't want like their taxes uh when they don't want the government to take their money away in form of taxes they spend it on this shit you know it's uh, immortality or uh, or the meaning of life it's like jesus christ 
<laughs> yeah, well, dream big, you know. I mean, you True, might as well. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants to write the great American novel, but <laughs> who can write the meaning of life in like seven <laughs> paragraphs that each have five and a half words apiece? Uh, Get straight to the point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, he is. Like we said, he's kind of on one as he writes this, and it's it doesn't it it's it is unclear, you know, how much of this is him trying to be like a writer of a thing that's to be taken seriously, and how much of it is him uh, trying to boost whatever product he's interested in at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's clearly, I guess you'd call it an ambitious writing project. Uh, he has one one section we've not mentioned titled truth <laughs> uh, um, and there is one sentence where he says I am here to bring the good news guys uh, <laughs> uh, a modern day angel Gabriel yeah. I guess um, yeah and he uh, I mean it's it's pretty funny I, I guess in that way maybe he's intending to be funny too uh, mm-hmm. he doesn't really let, let on too much but uh like the the good news here uh well i guess the good news is that mark's gonna keep making a fuck ton of money i think that's what (laughs) what he believes yeah in in contrast to truth uh joe in the first chapter called lies (laughs) he really covers all the bases um andreessen writes we are told to denounce our birthright our intelligence our control over nature our ability to build a better world. He thinks that we should be brave enough to grasp the Promethean fire of technology uh, and any government regulation getting between him and greatness uh, uh, can kiss his ass. Uh, So yeah, dream big. His uh, grandiose vision of human greatness, though, lacks any acknowledgement of collective uh, effort to bring greatness into being like you said like a lot of government money was spent to help create his own netscape you know he doesn't see that collective effort or the streets that he drives on someone else you know paved them that's a collective thing that makes his, a lot of parts of his life possible he can't he doesn't see that so um he, he can't see collective action not even in capitalistic terms you don't need to be a lefty to see that more people could do things that one person can't. Uh, The manifesto is just uh, filled with a bunch of big ideas uh, and, and, um, and it's funny, like he's trying to dream big, but it just seems very uh, impractical in a lot of ways. I think if I was going to devil's advocate that though, I mean that he, I don't know that he, has no vision of humans participating together to improve the world. He just sees it as uh, like the, the most good will come of everyone kind of independently working to develop uh, the the best, most sophisticated uh, product or piece of technology. I mean, he's very like laissez-faire, free market, capitalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody, but he. You know, he he's begins every sentence with the word we. Like, we are told to denounce. We believe this. He's trying to indicate, I think, that there's some, there's some type of collective vision. I think it is 
wholly without any substance, uh, but that, like, there's, in form, he's suggesting that there's some collaboration possible mm. here. But I don't, I don't really know what he's ever done to facilitate that. That's a good point. Like, the we, I think, is, like, everybody. Uh, uh, we yeah. are told this, uh, like, but it, you and it, I. It's actually used pretty, like, fluidly, where sometimes he's kind of like, mm. it's clearly just, like, hit, well, it's just him. It's just his opinion. But sometimes <laughs> it is things, sometimes it's obviously, like, it is a collective thing. Uh, that's, like, a, seems like some kind of rhetorical device. Does that ever come up in manifestos as a <laughs> like a, the use of the the use this of the royal we using we in kind of like an ambiguous way? Yeah, or a fluid way like that. No, I don't think we've seen this. Um, well, not like this. Yeah, I, I don't know about. Uh, well, I what I haven't seen before is is the thing. No, I take it back. That's not true. Uh, I was about to say I hadn't seen the thing before where he says we believe and we don't know who he's talking about, mm-hmm. but I believe that actually in Kaczynski's manifesto yeah. he regularly refers to uh, like I, I can't remember how what collective it is, but even in his bombs that he sent out in the letters and shit he refers to some type of group oh. that uh, I don't know if you remember that, but uh, it's some type yeah. of group. Uh, that there was, but it's clearly just him, uh, and he's he's writing it that way to Kaczynski wrote it that way to make it appear as though there was some kind of you know organization behind his effort. That and rings I, a bell. you I that 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 rings a bell. What you just said. Um, mm-hmm. So it's. Yeah. I mean, it's a. Con- it, it makes sense why. Typically, especially like the isolated nut jobs that write like the, the what you think of as like a wild man's manifesto. Yeah. You know, they write they if they have the opportunity, yeah, why not say that there's multiple people who believe this wild ass thing I'm writing? Sure, surely it's not just me, you know. Yeah, and you know, to talk a little bit more about technology, um, in the in the section titled technology, Andreessen says that Again, this we, we believe this is the story of the material development of our civilization. This is why we are not still living in mud huts, eking out a meager survival and waiting for nature to kill us. So technology is the thing that lifted us uh, out of, as he calls it, mud huts and and a meager uh, survival. And so technology, he only sees the positive side of it, how it adds to good and development which it does uh but you know uh let's keep in mind the manhattan project uh that also thought it was doing good when it was uh creating the uh, nuclear bomb and, and and nuclear energy so um and they thought they were doing good for humanity too but now we all live with the threat of nuclear annihilation uh, uh looming over us all the time so, uh, again, he doesn't see technology as a double-edged sword. He just sees it as a way to solve problems, or there's the net benefit, maybe, is better. But um, what do you guys think? I'll let Nate go first. You, have more, uh, you probably have more authority on this subject than myself. Oh, well, I mean, it's... I, uh, yeah, he's totally, like... Um, it's like I don't actually believe he could be as naive 
as the things he says in here. He's pretty dismissive that there's any downside. Yeah, he's he seems to be like anybody who thinks that bad things can come out of technology are fools, and they're just he has a he has a section further down which is called the enemy, and it it kind of like refers to all these kind of like maybe uh like regulatory or attempts to kind of like mediate the the worst effects of capitalism and he lists them under his his enemy section so it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> that's pretty there's like yeah you need to have some uh some balance i mean there's there's clear uh he you know he he actually talks about like nuclear power and he he just elides over the what you just pointed out. It's like obviously there's this massive downside to it. Um, and the I mean, same the like same a... thing goes for for AI. As I, I I was saying, I mean, there's mm. a lot of people. He he would be somebody who probably you know even though he's boosting it, he probably also goes out and says that it's like very uh, you know could potentially cause great harms and. Uh, mm. That's certainly something that we don't even know. There's so much uncertainty with it. That's one thing. He seems to like completely like there's so much uncertainty about the future. And he's like, no, it's all if we just do this, <laughs> right. it's going to be good. <laughs> he's so certain yeah. that it's going to be yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's such like a broad, it's such a, a broad concept to defend and state that there's no downsides. I feel it's like the equivalent to me, like defending technology and being like, oh, there's no downsides of technology it's like saying there's no downside to like curiosity or something Mm -hmm. it's like yeah i mean there are positive aspects of all these like broad concepts but there are also and they might be inevitable like i think that you could reasonably say that technology might be kind of an inevitable part of being a human being certainly uh in our world today but like to just suggest that there's not no downsides to it, and, and all we need to do is uh, press the uh, press the gas uh, whenever we see it seems kind of wild. Yeah. But um, I mean, it is kind of a like I guess a fundamentalist, almost like religious belief in mm-hmm. some of this, including a belief in what he describes as quote growth. Um, he says. Uh, at one point in here, he says, quote, techno-optimists believe that societies like sharks grow or die. Uh, <laughs> like shark, sharks, like, known for growing and dying. <laughs> yeah, either, I guess, I'm not a, a scholar of of sharks, but are they, are they really uniquely positioned to either grow or die? Because pretty much every organic being that I'm aware of has to either grow or die. Yeah. Or they just all uh, die. I mean, and, and, they, and they also all they die. die. Yeah. I mean, well, so that my first question for him about, about uh, what he thinks a society is or whatever. Does he think that this society is never going to die? That it just mm. lives forever? Mm. You know, can it... Is it possible for it to just grow in his... Whatever that means for him, grow forever? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not also sure, like, what history he's referring to when he suggests that, like, growth or death are the only options. I mean, that... 
I mean, human beings have, have been around for uh, a while, mm-hmm. you know, and most of that time they they were not certainly experiencing uh, consistent uh, 3% economic growth every year. Yeah. You know, that was not yeah. necessarily a part of, like, nomadic life. It wasn't a part of early actually- agrarian life or medieval uh, feudal life, you know, um, that's a yeah. that's a pretty recent development. He, 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 and ha- Patrice- he has that quote at the beginning. Mm-hmm. He has the quote that says exactly that uh, talks about how long uh, you know humans have been around before this uh, kind of skyrocketing economic growth. Mm-hmm. And and it's such a telling contrast, grow or die. What would have been correct is if he said grow and die. Uh, that's what happens to sharks as well as anything else. Yeah. But one happens and then, the, but he's like grow or die. Uh, it's mm-hmm. that or as if uh, it's, a, it's a choice between the two when it's not, it's both. Um, he He's also like when you mentioned faith, Joe, uh, he's a big believer in markets as well. He says about markets, we believe that the market economy is a discovery machine, a form of intelligence, an exploratory, evolutionary, adaptive system. He goes on to say, we believe that the ultimate moral defense of markets is that they divert people who otherwise would raise armies and start religions into peacefully productive pursuits. I mean, what an incredible <laughs> statement, you know, thinking of like banana republics or all the violence that like Walmart does uh, uh, to its own employees <laughs> here in America and the brutal uh, sort of like metal mines, precious metal mines in Africa and Asia, uh, the factories that have nets uh, surrounding them in China because people are committing suicide, throwing themselves out of windows. He says it, it, it diverts people who would otherwise raise armies into peacefully productive pursuits. It's so, mm-hmm. I mean, willfully blind to to reality. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a some <laughs> quote I read of his, like where he 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 says uh, in response to some interviewer's question, like. He says, you know, I'm not saying that we necessarily need to have sweatshops in the United States, but that's like his, that's the limit. You know, he's like, well, listen, I'm not saying we got to have sweatshops, but he, he really does like, uh, in a kind of, uh, fundamentalist way, think that the market, or he says (laughs) that the market, uh, is this form of intelligence or whatever, but obviously he's, you know, he's got a lot of reasons to be saying that. Mm. But yeah, I mean, it, it, he's running. I think at last last count, his venture capital firm was valued at about thirty five billion dollars. Um, so it's you know not not the most difficult to imagine that he's interested in arguing that uh, the free market's great and the government uh, shouldn't get any of his money. Um, <laughs> I mean, he. One thing that really struck me, he, he wrote that uh, we have a problem of poverty, so we invent technology to create abundance, you know, and like, it's just hard for me to imagine how you look at the world today and think that that's exactly what's occurred. Now, I know that there are arguments that there there have been people uh, who've had access to food that they might, that they surely would not have had 
were it not for certain kinds of technological advancements and certain kind of farming. Um, and I, I, I don't think it's, it's reasonable to totally to discount that, you know, but to suggest that we have managed to, uh, on the whole, Hmm. eliminate poverty or create abundance through like that's certainly not what's not what's happened yet you know if he's got some idea of how it might happen in the future uh that's one thing but uh, to suggest that that's already occurred seems pretty wild to me i think it's uh, occurred with those who matter uh, whoever's starving <laughs> doesn't matter <laughs> yeah yeah well and like people starving people who are just i don't know living living kind of uh, uh, relatively hopeless lives in in jobs that that uh, you know where they do, they don't have much access to technology or understanding of it, so they're kind of screwed. Um, anyway, and and yeah, and he has a few choice words to say about you know you know as far as like starving people go about universal basic income. Uh, if anyone's starving, don't don't give them any uh, any basic income. Is is uh, Andreessen's point of view? He says. We believe a universal basic income would turn people into zoo animals to be farmed by the state. Man was not meant to be farmed. Man was meant to be useful, to be productive, to be proud. That sounds uh, like being farmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I thought, yeah. Uh, so he he thinks that universal basic income will benefit the state, not industry. That's the other funny thing. You know, like when you give people money, it's not like they invest it. They spend it on shit. They go out, mm-hmm. at least most people do. Um, so when the state gives people money, uh, people tend to bring it to things like the market. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm poor. What do I know? Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's my theory of, of how universal basic income works. It actually benefits, uh, ultimately business as well. Uh, cause people yeah. don't. Um, so, I mean, I think like what Nate was saying, you know, his description of, uh, useful, productive and proud sounds like how a, like a farmer would like describe a prize dairy cow. Um, <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think, so, like, from his perspective, I guess, universal basic income, you know, it, he, he's he's got, like, from a, a businessman's perspective, like, does he want economic desperation in the labor market, hmm. uh, or, does, or does he want customers to have uh, as much money as possible uh, to to buy stuff, and like for whatever reason, it seems like maybe he's making the decision that uh, there might be other ways to satisfy the need for customers. You know, uh, maybe in part because a lot of his customers are very likely uh, not the kind of people who are getting uh, UBI. You know, and uh, might instead be large companies or governmental actors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that he'd prefer instead, uh, you know, to to keep people willing and ready to to work for uh, a low wage. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I prefer being useless. You know. Just, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at least uh, useless in in that way. Useless for 
Uh, oh no, you're, Joe! You're, you're useless not... in every way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, my you're dream. Trying to be, you're trying to be useless even to yourself. Yes, okay. exactly. <laughs> I'll get yeah. there. Uh, just watch. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a. It's going to take a lot of meditation, probably, to arrive at that. Um, like uh, one thing I, I did want to say before we, if we move away from talking about free markets, and that's. Uh, you know, I think it is worth noting that he's running a massive venture capital firm that's not exactly like the picture of decentralization when it comes to uh, the economy or monopolization. I mean, he's he's got thirty-five billion dollars that he's using to affect. I mean, effectively centralize. He's making he's making decisions at the center of a thirty-five billion dollar empire. So he writes that decentralization harnesses complexity for the benefit of everyone and centralization will starve you to death, you know, but is, I guess, as long as it's him. As long as he's the center. (laughs) Yeah, as long as he's at the center, it's fine. In the section titled Techno Capital, Andreessen says, uh, We believe in accelerationism, the conscious and deliberate propulsion of technological development to ensure the fulfillment of the law, acceler- the law of accelerating returns, which Andreessen describes as technological advances tend to feed on themselves, increasing the rate of further advance. Um... To ensure the techno upward, the excuse me, the techno capital upward spiral continues forever. That's what he wants. So his optimism literally knows no bounds. Basically, more tech equals more of better everything. Um, he doesn't. Again, there's no damage. Uh, uh, mentioned here and that law of accelerating returns he just fucking made that up there's no law of accelerating there's a law of diminishing (laughs) returns yeah (laughs) it's it's uh so you know good bullshitter but uh but at the end of the day you can't bullshit a bullshitter so he didn't trick me (laughs) but (laughs) but it might that's a that's a Someone might read that and be like a law of accelerating returns I like that yeah um I mean, generally, when I think of accelerationist, you know, what I what I think of, and so you and I have had a number of conversations about this, but like people who believe that like if we just let things let like the political world get as bad as possible, like mm-hmm. like you know, elect Donald Trump, you know, for a fiftieth term or whatever, <laughs> that. That that what will eventually there will be some like law of accelerating returns where uh, everyone will wake up and become communists, you know, mm-hmm. and we'll all, uh, you know, we'll all do a, we'll we'll realize how bad things are, and I, like it just seems to me like that's one of about a million possible options, and most of the choices that would happen are like worse you know well, very to that bad. i say joe you got any better ideas i mean 
<laughs> yeah. Well, may, well, maybe he would say that too. Maybe that's what Andreessen would say. It sounds like you might be Team Andreessen. <laughs> maybe I am. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so okay, let let's let's read uh, think, how he believes. You think believed. this guy's gonna vote for Trump? You think this guy's a Trump uh, supporter? Uh, I think I, I suspect, I mean, I read that, I think he was an Obama guy and then he was a Mitt Romney guy. Mm. Um, but you figure he's probably going to go wherever the money is. I I don't, I mean, I guess one thing that, uh, Trump brings is instability, which I don't know if, I don't know how that works in the VC world. I think they would probably, Trump would probably, uh. They're hoping that he would come in and drop interest rates to zero. Mm-hmm. So because a lot of these uh, venture mm. capital firms through the kind of like teens, they were able to do a lot of their investments based on how cheap uh, credit was. So mm-hmm. they That's now true. are dealing with much, much higher uh, interest rates because of the, you know, like for inflation. So Trump. Probably would like uh, definitely like do something. He would lower rates, so these guys are doing the same thing, just borrowing a shit mm-hmm. ton of money. Yeah. Well, sounds like you know, yeah, good for everybody. And and, <laughs> and the Biden administration <laughs> has a uh, uh, is slightly better about like regulating um, industry uh, than than yeah. Trump was. So uh, less regulation for him, I think, would mean maybe. Uh, yeah, world for sure. Yeah, and his better world uh, includes this techno capital machine, mm-hmm. uh, and and what he writes is the techno capital machine makes natural selection work for us in the realm of ideas. The best <laughs> and most productive ideas win and are combined and generate even better ideas. I mean, I, I love when people talk about I- ideas. Oh man, <laughs> onward and upward. Yeah, uh, he says those ideas materialize in the real world world as technologically enabled goods and services that never would have emerged de novo. Little little Latin there in case oh, uh, wow. you, you thought he in case you thought he was a dumbass. I guess. <laughs> uh, English that built upon Latin and is better than Latin because it took yeah. what Latin had, added to it, and made it better. Better ideas. Yeah. Yeah, I just love the I like I love the idea of the ideas are just all fighting in a in a cage match, and the best and most productive ideas always emerge, <laughs> and that's that's why human history is just a story of perpetual uh, progression towards uh, you know peace and prosperity. You know? Yeah, all those ideas, all the fighting to lead to Andreessen's big fat code head. <laughs> that's the that's where all of of, of human struggle uh, has been leading to. Happiness for me is hard to find. Does no good. For me to go to bed Cause my mind just don't fit my head Like for example when he says We believe intelligence is the ultimate engine of progress Um, Intelligence makes everything better 
smart people and smart societies outperform less smart ones on virtually every metric we can measure unquote that's that's his idea about intelligence uh the radical notion that quote unquote smart societies outperform less smart ones i don't it's uh i'd love to know first of all his his definition of intelligence or smart uh and i'd also love to know like what like what study he's using to figure out like that the so-called smart societies are outperforming you know yeah, that that's a really like loaded uh, set of phrases right there. You know, sm- uh, smart societies outperform less smart ones. It's like, it's this. Uh, uh, I mean, that is a very um, you know colonial kind of mindset. Like civilization is about competition and uh, uh, and about winning, uh, uh, not about mm. um, a- anything else. Uh, yeah, it also like really goes against, uh, I guess a, a thing that I thought we all kind of agreed on, which is that sometimes being dumb is kind of great, and uh, like ignorance is bliss. It's uh, it's, you know, I was at a party a while back, and some guy was just saying he's like, I love just being a dumbass, you know, and I really identified <laughs> with that, uh, that. Uh, concept you know sometimes uh sometimes it is uh great to be dumb and intelligent like intelligence or you know the, the sort of products that we make in our mind are not necessarily always all that beneficial uh to us i feel like also like a lot of the smartest quote-unquote smartest people i've ever known have oftentimes been like uh hugely unhappy self-destructive etc you know i i don't know that intelligence as we oftentimes talk about it necessarily maps plainly on to uh, uh, success quote unquote I think I think Mr. Andres Andreessen should go listen to the bimbo manifesto <laughs> episode of Club Manifesto to see the benefits of uh, being dumb uh. <laughs> <laughs> or playing dumb either way it's it's better than playing smart or being smart so yeah uh, yeah that's uh that's evidence, I guess, that Mark Andreessen hasn't been listening to our podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I'm sure maybe, he did. Yeah. I mean, I was sure he would. Maybe he, <laughs> he, maybe he, he will would. now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He searches his name uh, on his on his podcast app every week mm-hmm. to see who's talking about him. So uh, yeah, maybe he will. Yeah, I'll I'll try to try to at him um, and see see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he also he's got some stuff to say about artificial intelligence as well, uh, and that that kind of plays into his whole uh, conception of uh, how how this techno accelerationism is going to play out um he's he's kind of a booster of ai i believe we just we've discussed here how he also is is an investor in artificial intelligence so he has kind of reasons to uh monetary incentives to be pushing this but Mm -hmm. he says there there are scores of common causes of death that can be fixed with artificial intelligence from car crashes to pandemics to wartime friendly fire, unquote. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, 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 maybe he's right about all of that, um, but 
I think the wartime friendly fire comment kind of, you know, uh, says a quiet part out loud a little bit uh, because it's it's pretty clear that, you know, among the uses for this technology are going to be the same shit that people always do, which is find ways to compete with each other, kill each other, steal one another shit. Uh, you know, the things that, that we do uh, when we get access to a little bit of power, um, I think it's kind of unlikely that this tech, that as technolo- technology advances at a more rapid rate over and over time, that only good people good, with good intentions are going to access it. You know, we're also going to use it to, to murder each other. <clears throat> yeah, and he, and he wraps it up in the language of, like, not murdering each other. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he says, well, uh, not- common causes <laughs> of death can be avoided with AI, like uh, car crashes or friendly fire. It's like, okay, so you don't fire on your friends, but who, who, else, who else are you firing mm-hmm. at, you know? <laughs> well, notice he doesn't... He- it's... it's um, he he's not a uh, he's not saying like less civilian casualties. It's really only a lessening of mm. casualties on your own side. Yeah, well, it's like more. You, yeah. I mean, that would be, I guess, an instance of uh, outperforming the uh, the less smart uh, society or whatever the <laughs> one you're going after, because uh, you're. He does have a worldview in which we are still in groups, uh, kind of fighting against one another some are some of these groups are smarter than others they're going to kind of compete with each other i guess maybe in in his view uh but naturally you don't want to accidentally shoot your own guy uh so uh and i guess theoretically everyone would would kind of agree on that um but i mean the the civilian comments kind of relevant i think in that there is artificial intelligence apparently being used by the israeli military to supposedly mm. try to elim- uh, reduce the number of civilian casualties in Gaza and uh obviously we know how well that's worked so it's uh at least if if AI has the potential to be successful in that re- in that kind of regard it's uh, it's not there yet yeah and he's certainly leaving out as he you know that's like the the criticism of him throughout this is he's leaving out the way in which AI will be used and given the technologies that have just recently kind of come to the forefront, like ChatGPT, that's not necessarily going to like do much on a battlefield. That would be more effective for psychological warfare. You know, these can be employed in uh, comment sections or just you know out out in the wild in social media. So not not only is he leaving that out, but like. Uh, the nature of the benefits of it are going to come with like a very there. It's it's going to come into uh, as far as warfare goes. The way it's going to affect us is like not, not only is it unpredictable, but it's like it's going to kind of be everywhere. Mm-hmm. And and didn't he say like? He wanted. He was gonna like raise his son with AI mm. and, and and stuff like that. This is a kind of. Um, this is a one of the funny things about libertarian being a libertarian. He's all about choice. People having choice, but uh, with bringing AI into the world and he's funding projects that are uh, uh, that are all about AI. 
he's kind of forcing people to live a certain kind of way, you know? Um, just like smartphones, uh, you could resist them for a while. Now mm. they're just like everywhere. Mm. And is um, that seems to be like what he wants to happen with AI, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of takes away freedom and choice rather than... Uh, uh, he, he gets to be like a shaper of society, mm. but he sees himself as some champion of freedom, in other words. Yeah, I mean, and that included in that like new way of living might be... As you were talking about, like, psychological warfare, Nate, I guess I'm... I mean, I think among other uh, relatively terrifying elements of that uh, that development is that obviously, like, psychological warfare can be relatively easily deployed, not just on an enemy, but, but on, uh, you know, people within one's own society and... Mm-hmm. Uh, and it does not have to be, especially with artificial intelligence, it's not as though you need a military to perform that type of, uh, of what, you, what you could reasonably call warfare. Mm-hmm. Uh, so any number of private interests can utilize the power of that, as they, I imagine, are already um, yeah. to, to advance you know, any number of nefarious ends. Not, not that it's necessarily, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what's better or worse, having private private entities fighting wars or having uh, uh, nation states fighting wars, but uh, neither sound great. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's, uh, again, he does have like this conception of us being grouped into, uh, you know, little, even though, I guess, even though we're we're approaching some kind of techno-utopia in his mind, uh, there's no kind of one world vision. We're still, we're definitely still broken up into uh, competing nation states. Uh, he is a strong American, like U.S. nationalist. Uh, and he, he writes, we believe America and her allies should be strong and not weak. We believe national strength of liberal democracies flows from economic strength, cultural strength, and military strength. Economic, cultural, and military strength flow from techno sorry, economic, cultural, and military strength flow from technological strength. A technologically strong America is a force for good <laughs> in a dangerous world technology. Technologically strong liberal democracy safeguard liberty and peace. Uh, so you know, in his view, I guess, uh, the United States is essentially a, a force for safeguarding liberty and peace around the world. And if only we can just get a little bit more uh, technology in the hands of, uh, you know, fucking whether it's Joe Biden or Donald Trump or whoever the hell else uh, is in there uh, in charge of the bombs, then uh, we will just bring, a, bring about a, a better and more peaceful world. Yeah, and and at the root of all of just looking at like rhetorically that the the structure of that quote, he talks about like uh, economic strength leading to cultural strength, leading to technological strength. He's kind of like uh, tying all these things in together. Like without nationalism, basically you can't have technological advancement. That that seems to be what he's implying. Mm-hmm. If you're a, if you're not a strong nationalistic society, your technology is not going to be developing. You know. So one of the signs of a technologically advanced society, I guess these are the winners uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> in his uh, 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 the winner societies. 
um, it's uh, it's it's having a, a nationalistic and kind of uh, unified society like that. Mm-hmm. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty pretty fascist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, concert. I mean, he's he. He states the opposite. You know, he states that he's exclusively interested in liberal democracy. You know. Yeah. So do the fascists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's and that's uh, like I, I guess what I mean is I don't know if he's actually interested in fascism or if he if he's just saying things in this manifesto that are like convenient for him because he he probably stands to benefit. In, in a number of ways from a, a strong American state, much like he stands to benefit from uh, kind of libertarian <laughs> economic policies. So what? Yeah, yeah, the stronger the American state, the more they'll give him money for his uh, little projects that, uh, that are going on in his investment firm. I mean, I, I assume, whole, I assume any number was built. Yeah. I assume any number of his investments are in companies that have, you know, government, do do gut work for the government I, maybe i'm wrong about that but it's hard for me to imagine that's not part of what he does yeah and um so in another section you know to move away from nationalism a little bit he says uh our present society has been subjected to a mass demoralization campaign of six decades against technology and against life under varying names like Existential risk, sustainability, ESG, sustainable development goals, and and so on and so forth. Like he has all these, uh, uh, he keeps going on and on. He's like he says all these terms: um, risk management, uh, degrowth is another one he mentions. Mm-hmm. So um, th- these are all things that he sees as being against technology and against life he equates those two things you know it's um so the enemy is basically any environmentalist Mm -hmm. or anyone who has any uh any criticism of what he's doing it's it's like every modern form of kind of or when I, i mean modern as in like things ideas that are kind of out there right now to serve as a check on tech in particular but these are it's it sounds kind of crazy to you know like talk about that these are your enemies because <laughs> that's what the section is mm-hmm. <laughs> your enemy is existential risk or social responsibility like the they're not even some of them are capitalized <laughs> i guess i should say so they're like specific mm-hmm. things but some of them seem just kind of like like trust and safety maybe that's something specific i'm not i'm not really familiar with it but a lot of these things kind of have the character of being like, these sound like things you should be concerned about. You should be concerned mm-hmm. about existential risk when one of the outcomes of uh, our technological growth is uh, like pending uh, climate catastrophe. Uh, that's yeah. certainly like, of course, he would probably say, well, the solution is uh, more technology, but it, more tech. That's just that is <laughs> speculative to say that that's going to happen. What we know is that the outcome of these technological advancements has led in a direction where we are facing something which is an existential risk. Yeah. 
Yeah, the better technology has gotten over the 20th and 21st century, the closer we've gotten to global catastrophe. Right. And not only in terms of the economy that's been really unstable since uh, 2007, you know, uh, uh, but also ecologically and the nuclear, the threat of nuclear war. Just uh, um, so the, there's always like the there's this, uh, the doomsday mm -hmm. clock. I think it's called like the atomic uh, some associate association yeah. of atomic scientists has a thing. It's like a, it's always like two minutes from midnight mm -hmm. or a minute from like complete nuclear catastrophe. Yeah. So as technology has developed, we have like three or four serious yeah. existential risks. But he lists that as the enemy of life. So uh, I guess that <laughs> that's off the table for him to. He also lists tech ethics as something that's the uh, he has a problem with. Like, let's not think of what we're doing as right or wrong. Let's just keep uh, uh, keep doing what we're doing and everything will work out at the end. You know? Yeah. He, I, I mean, it's really uh, an opposition to any type of like guardrails that anyone might put on it uh, or like any idea that maybe the this larger society should have some say in the way that this development occurs you know uh like i i think obviously we we've spent a lot of this episode describing uh, the various reservations that that uh that one might have about unbridled technological acceleration but you know there are obviously some great elements of technology you know we would not have a lot of uh, medication that we have now were it not for a number of technological advancements well uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking well that's for sure that you know uh <laughs> the listener can decide whether that's a good or a bad thing no, no podcast uh, no code manifesto <laughs> yeah, yeah uh that's that's uh, Actually, I'm pro-technology now, all of a sudden. <laughs> you guys changed my mind. <laughs> I'm on Team Andreessen. Yeah, but, you know, I, I think well, it's... I, it's I, I think that's a good... It's so easy to... Like, we, we can have uh, positive views about technology, but the way he presented what a techno-optimist is, it's just so... It's kind of preposterous, so I think it's very hard to agree with him. Yeah, and that, like... I just think that there's a a world in which uh, we a embrace the fact that this that tech the technology is going to advance that we're not going to just like stop it. Uh, but if there is any any democratic uh, institution that's still sort of functioning, uh, it might be used to try to guide that development in a way that that we believe is responsible and does actually protect the the majority of people rather than just whoever happens to be investing in any particular uh technological product i mean esg which he's also opposed to to my understanding is just like a a method for my favorite band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, besides, uh, besides the band is also like a, just a way of uh, deciding where to put your money as you're investing, and you know maybe to try to advance uh, social issues, environmental issues, uh, and and maybe it, it might or might not be all that effective, but uh, it's kind of hard to imagine that as being 
the enemy, at least not in a world where we want the majority of people to have some say in how our society is developed. Yeah, the ES. Yeah, I, I don't think he wants any of that. Sorry, Nate. <laughs> the the ESG one, um, from my understanding, it's it's not even really like uh, like I think it's uh, environment. I forget what the S is. Uh, the G's for government, but they're not really. It's it's not what you would think. It's not like some progressive lefty ideas that they're they're obligated to kind of uh, adhere to. It's really just them like knowing that there's going to be environmental issues and there's going to be government regulation that happens and that they should make business plans to kind of respond to it. So it's like, it's something you think mm -hmm. a business would do anyway. It's just like taking into account the... Re so e ESG... Mm -hmm. I mean the the I mean that's a really great point. Like ESG seems like a pretty moderate it is, yeah. uh, uh, movement, yeah. but he's but this is where the uh, the nationalism comes in. You know, he's a very he's kind of revealing himself in in this manifesto, despite his intentions. He's re revealing himself to be a right wing uh, nationalistic reactionary uh, ideologue. Really, a, I mean. It, it's that that's a good point because the people who you will hear uh, rail against this and who you hear typically talk about it because it's such an obscure topic are like Vivek Ramaswamy or Ron DeSantis. They're like, you know, uh, right wing politicians. It's it, those are the only people who say this. So it kind of like, yeah, it does give away the game as far as politics go. Like uh, mm -hmm. you're, you're saying like Ramaswamy would be uh also kind of like a techno accelerationist you think or, or i don't i i i have no idea i try to avoid actually listening to the things he says but i know <laughs> for sure he has like this is one of the things that he's kind of brought up at some point because he's a he's very wealthy and it's just from like in basically investment and, and i think it's like biotech investments mm -hmm. that's how how he made his money so he's he's a money guy he's kind of a in the same vein as Andreessen making money off investments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, isn't that how he made a, a, a lot of his money by uh, with with? I can't remember the details, but it was investment in the medical mm -hmm. field that really screwed over a it, lot of people. But he it was a drug that was boosted. I think an Alzheimer's drug, a drug that ended up flopping. It was like a complete <laughs> failure. But he had kind of. Uh, structured all his investments in a way so that he only he had like basically upside risk he just took like he got the gains early on and then once like uh it came you know it, it came clear that this uh this drug was not effective uh he had shielded himself from the losses so that's, yeah, that's <laughs> a real he's a genius a real trump like he's, he's figure a, yeah i'm sure he am yeah like uh Go I'm ahead, sure he employed that. some uh, good technology and uh, structuring those those investments. You know, I probably had uh, probably had some help from good good budgeting software, investment uh, management, etc. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, and he's kind of uh, a Trump-like figure in that, like Trump was in in his debate with Hillary Clinton was boasting how he didn't pay his taxes. Right, mm -hmm. that was part of his appeal. Like I I know how to work the system. So uh, his whole mm -hmm. 
American politics is shifting where these grifters are not only like open grifters, mm-hmm. not not uh, uh, they're not pretending to be uh, your friend. They're just telling you they're a con man to your face and, and conning you <laughs> and, and giving giving you their con mm-hmm. in the meantime. They're they're um, sort of becoming more regular in national politics, and and this kind of reminds me of like Mark Twain in Huck Finn. The whole last part of the novel is these con men going from city to town to town, like conning people out of their money. Mm-hmm. Like this has been the story of America since. Right. At least Huck Finn, just like it's been a country of con men, <laughs> and um, and 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 uh, and now they're trying to get into the highest level of politics, and and Ramaswamy, Ramaswamy, and Trump are the most you know egregious of those figures. Mm-hmm. But they're being honest, you know, they're straightforward. You can, <laughs> yeah, they're honest liars. <laughs> <laughs> He he has another uh, quote there in in the enemy section. He says, "These this demoralization campaign, like against technology, I guess, is based on bad ideas of the past, zombie ideas, many derived from communism, disastrous then and now that have refused to die." So, just like again, like announcing how uh, uh, you know he's. Communists, socialists, the left wing, they're the bad guys. And he is um, kind of, again, announcing himself as part of the right, you know, uh, in, in my mind, the far mm-hmm. right. So anything about social responsibility or sustainable growth, this is, uh, this is all bad stuff. It's like the tech version of drill, baby, drill. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, let's, let's just keep pushing forward and everything will be all right, I guess. You know, he's like... Uh- as the world burns. He's 52 years old, which I, I believe would put him, like, kind of firmly into Generation X. Uh, he's He seems, like, a little uh, oddly preoccupied with communism. Even. Like, if Gen X, I guess, maybe there might be uh, a, a little more interest in communism That's... than, like, an average millennial. But I feel like Gen X I, I... still, it's, like, a little late for that. Well, I think for Gen Xers, they would have actually, like, been coming of age during Reagan and I guess not to say like how they're all going to react to Reagan but uh, he was in play you know he was in power at the time that the the uh, USSR fell so I guess you could pick from that 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 was kind of like glory days Uh, Especially if they Mm -hmm. coincide with kind of like your political awakening and you're looking at, especially if you're within American politics, you're kind of looking at a very like weak Democratic Party Uh, throughout the 80s. They were like, at at least at the, you know, level of like presidential politics, they just were whiffing it every election. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And I guess he, I mean, he was born in 71, so he would have like also, you know, would have been... aware uh politically aware like when the berlin wall came down and stuff Mm -hmm. and that that maybe influenced some of his uh kind of core beliefs um so the the way that he ends this thing um you know is he's trying to be as as inspirational as possible (laughs) uh he says we believe in the words of david deutsch 
quote, we have a duty to be optimistic because the future is open, not predetermined, and therefore cannot just be accepted. We are all responsible for what it holds. Thus, it is our duty to fight for a better world. We owe the past and the future. It's time to be a techno-optimist. It's time to build, unquote. And you did hear that correctly. We owe the past. O-W-E. The wording on that is uh, strange, but, um, you know, he, I guess the, you know, my, my... He's a poet. Yeah, he is, he is a poet that, that's <laughs> important to his identity. Uh, final, <laughs> final question I, I would have for you guys is whether you view his take as as actually optimistic like do you do you think that he is in fa- in fact an optimist uh not i mean not just is he optimistic about technology but is he optimistic about sort of like human society i would say he's not optimistic about society because he even says it at some point i think he says something like uh have you have you met people he has like a line kind of like that when he's talking about how uh capitalism uh, or you know some variant of describing capitalism that's something that gives forth like like you were saying earlier on about how it leads to just increases in productivity and improvements in people's lives um I don't think that he's all these and also all these things that he kind of declares as the enemies are products of kind of like a part of society. It, 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 like he the whole reason he's writing this is in reaction to something, a, a reaction mm-hmm. to the lies and to the enemies. And that's certainly a, you know, that that's a product of, of society more generally. What I don't think his views here are, are really like. There, most people would not think this. They would just be like, "There's, it's so clear that, um, you know, there's there's downsides to technology, or at the best, most technologies might be neutral, and then, you know, depending on how how they're employed, you get good or bad outcomes." Um, I think so. I I was reading a a blog post about this by somebody who kind of identified with the techno-optimist moniker, but was critical of that. He says he agrees with it. And I, I think that there are points in here that you agree to when talking about the, you know, the potential for improvements in people's lives. Like people's lives now are clearly better than they were 200 years ago, uh, especially in, in, you know, the in the West, where we have a lot of access to the benefits, medical technology, uh, you know, communication technologies, all these different things have improved our lives. They've definitely caused a lot of issues too, and they can cause uh, much more issues. But um, that's this this guy had kind of like a more uh, uh, dialed down techno optimist view that acknowledged the, the issues that exist. But he also said that he's like a fan of the 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 author was uh mike masnick by the way he he writes a blog called Mm -hmm. tector um uh he he said that he actually likes andreessen he thinks he says things that are reasonable he's knowledgeable he must be because he is like 
pretty uh, significant in a way amongst the, you know, kind of like tech royalty. Um, but he thought of him as more of a tech, techno cynic. And I think it's probably because he sees this document as being cynical and kind of like that it's kind of manipulative in the way that we've been talking. He has financial interest in us thinking this way of, of seeing this vision mm-hmm. of techno optimism. So I don't really believe, I think techno optimism is pretty like an empty term. And I think he's like, if it was meaningful to any people, he's probably like, uh, mm-hmm. kind of like sucked all that actual meaning out of it. And it just seems like at, at its core, he wants to make money <laughs> and he's making money mm-hmm. off of like AI right now. And he wants to continue making money off of these kind of rolling tech bubbles. Uh, so yeah, yeah. That's totally, it's a totally empty term. Uh, you're a hundred percent. I'm, I'm with you on that because it sounds good. Like who wants, who doesn't want to be optimistic? Yeah. It's like, it's like one of those, uh, the, the conservatives are so clever coming up with the names for shit. Like the, the, you know, center for American progress. Who's against American progress? Uh, uh let's, uh, you know, who's against optimism. And then when you look at the details, he's, he's just like a, a, a right wing kind of reactionary. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Nate. I think this is like, uh, he, it, it's kind of like, a uh, the optimist, uh, name is kind of like a red herring. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, when you look at the details, it's, it's kind of, um, you know, ideologic, it, it's very ideologically motivated, uh, uh, the, this, this document, and, and you guys mentioned a few times <clears throat> that, you know, in the last, like, couple of hundred years, as technology has advanced, our lives have gotten better, and they have. But um, there's always this kind of, like, tacit or unspoken, that's like the good side of capitalism. Let's give the credit where credit is due. But I want to push... I'm not saying that's what you said uh, uh, at all, but I... If that thought occurred to any of our listeners, uh, or when you think of like, oh, as history has progressed, our lives have gotten better, and that's kind of like capitalism's good side, I would say like uh, the things in our and everyday people's lives that have gotten better is because of socialism and and left-wing sort of movements. Mm. Okay, as let's say uh, um, technology advances in, in medicine, and medical care becomes better how do people get access to it that's where socialism comes in uh if you have like a do you have a nationalized healthcare policy or or not in america we don't so this medicine exists but a lot of people can't access it but if if you have medicare and medicaid you can so it's kind of there and that's good so um as technology advances i think the left has had a history of, you know, they're the ones who demanded indoor plumbing in cities so people wouldn't be dying of, like, diseases (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they're all, like, living in these awful conditions. It was, like, the progressive movement that made actual people's lives better Mm -hmm. and channeled the energy of technological development for... um, for the betterment of human lives. So I think that's also, I just wanted to throw that in there, that 
our lives are better because of not because of capitalism but because of people's reaction to capitalism as well mm. like history is complicated you know yeah well and, and Andreessen's own biography is a great example of that because uh, I mean I don't know if you necessarily call it socialism but he he began his career essentially with a whole bunch of government money that uh, that people have essentially said helped uh, develop the the entire internet and that's he would he would be nothing without that uh, so I, there's that's that's where he and I uh, the, uh, that's what we have in common I got Pell grants and Cal grants I started out with government money yeah. too. Well, I, when I I was uh, you know I I have a PhD in, in physics and I was completely funded by the DOE uh, mm-hmm. every 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 scientist is <laughs> like there's nobody who gets a PhD in phys- or in any science that hasn't gotten money from NSF, DOE, uh, NIH. What's DOE? Sorry. The I Department of Department of Energy. So they do a lot of the mm. uh, for like a good amount of physics research. Like some of it comes from NSF. Uh, I did like particle physics and this is really connected to a lot of the large national labs like Fermilab or Los Alamos, which a lot of these are, are actually outgrowths of the Manhattan project and the, you know, the, the government financing or, or government. Yeah. I mean, funding for the development of nuclear technologies. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a continuation of that, which is, kind of why it falls under the DOE because they're, you know, they're one of their main responsibilities is overseeing the nuclear stockpile. Uh, but every, I mean, the thing is, yeah, that's like the thing that's when you're talking about central planning being a problem, it is fundamental to basic research. And he does kind of acknowledge that at some point. Um, and that's clearly like is socialistic in nature. So it's clearly part of the, um, to dismiss it and say that everything is 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 a product, all the good things, all good technological advancements are the product of capitalism is just false. Like you said, it's he's an example of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that all makes sense. You know, I mean, because I, I, my my view, I guess, w- more or less corresponded with with uh, both of yours, which is that that in the end, the the feeling that I got from reading this was that he he is relatively pessimistic or cynical uh about society and um and about the capacity for people to kind of like work together to share in a vision for how uh our society might be shaped by technology and ultimately like kind of realize their potential in uh any number of ways that might involve a collaboration or cooperation uh he has like the the kind of view that I associate often with libertarians, which is just like a, uh, you know, it's a, it feels like a pretty dark way of, of uh, understanding the world is that we're all out here uh, on our own and uh, any any uh, attempt to bring us all together through any type of institution is a, uh, you know, recipe for disaster. Um, but I think that uh, that more or less brings us to the end of the uh, of the discussion of the techno optimist manifesto. Is is there anything that either one of you guys want to want to discuss before we head out? No, I think we at least for me, I've uh, I've said all yeah. I 
I've got to say about him. Uh, On to the next. Uh, <laughs> All right. Uh, it sounds good. Uh, Nate, thank, thanks so much for, uh, for yeah, doing this. For, for, for yeah, guys. thanks for coming on the show yeah appreciate it um it was fun and uh listener you're uh you know free to find the techno optimist manifesto uh all over the internet has been discussed widely and andreessen put it on his uh the web page for his company andreessen horowitz so uh you'll enjoy that uh obviously if you decide to to dig it all right thanks (laughs) 